Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Islam Channel podcast. This is the podcast where we invite the most deepest thinkers in the Muslim community and get their various takes on various issues that matter to you. This podcast is available on all the podcast streaming platforms as well as on our website and our app islamchannel.tv. So please make sure you go ahead and you subscribe and we'll see you on the other side of this intro. So today I have with me Omar Suleiman, General Manager of Wahid UK. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to the podcast. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi for having me. No problem. How's your drive into the studio today? Alhamdulillah, it wasn't too bad actually. Um, I thought because of the tube strike, it may take a lot longer coming from South London, but it was pretty, uh, it's pretty flowing, alhamdulillah. So good, good. good. Good, alhamdulillah. I'm glad. I'm glad we finally got this episode done and hopefully released before Ramadan so the community Allah. can get a good understanding of our financial situation before going into Ramadan and uh, that's the main meat I want to go into but before we go into that meat I've always had something that I'd want to ask you I saw a few months ago you guys released that your partnership with Khabib he's become a brand ambassador with you guys he's like you know he's he's super mainstream he's uh, one of the greatest fighters of all time how did that partnership between Wahid and Khabib come up? So actually, I think, look, alhamdulillah, it's, uh, we're, we're amazingly, uh, really happy to have Habib as an ambassador and as a partner. Why, in terms of what it stands for, actually, uh, our values, our approach to the financial system, we wanted to have ambassadors that really reflect that. And when you think of someone like Habib, um, it's not just his work within the sports arena, his dedication to, to his sport, to, to, to the MMA, uh, his dedication to training. Actually, he's kind of, uh, he, he's grown above that. Uh, you know, alhamdulillah, it's because of his character inside and more importantly, outside of the ring. You know, when we saw his press conferences, how he deals uh, with, with, with victory, how he deals with the way people attack him, etc. And then when you look at his backdrop story, alhamdulillah, someone from really humble means. For us, it was, look, this is somebody we want to partner with um, because he really reflects what we want to do within the financial system in terms of disrupting it. So Alhamdulillah, we are uh, we, we have good uh, contacts and relations in the CIS region. Uh, inshallah, someday in the future, it's something that we'd like to service the, the Muslim community there. And through a contact that we had, Alhamdulillah, we set up a conversation. And it was actually in the Middle East, in Dubai, where our founder, Junaid, sat down with him. And what was supposed to be quite a quick meeting, as you can imagine, Khabib has loads of these meetings, ended up being a very extended meeting where, Alhamdulillah, Junaid just spoke about where Wahid came about from where we're going and how we're getting there. Yeah. And it just resonated with uh, Habib. He understood the bigger mission, the challenges and the, the dangers of riba and the uh, the upside and, and the positivity in having a financially independent and empowered Muslim community globally. And this is a big, big thing for us to say globally. It's not just about Muslims in one demographic or one geographic location, but inshallah trying to service the whole of the Muslim community globally. And not just the Muslim community, I think actually it's the, the values of ethics and fairness come into all of this. And so Khabib, mashallah, he's someone who transcends his sport, someone who, uh, mashallah, is, is a role model in, in his field and, and more than that. And Wahid actually reflects that. And so we had the conversation. He understood it. He really gets it, mashallah. And for him, it's like it's a no-brainer. And he goes, definitely wants to get behind it. Mashallah, that's amazing. So what, what do you think was... 
the unique selling point of Wahid that caught Khabib's eyes? And what, what is that unique selling point that maybe you, Wahid is trying to uh, show to, to the rest of the Muslim community? Okay, so Alhamdulillah, I think, look, um, Wahid, if you... If we take take a step back, actually, if we look at general the, the general financial system and we look at how people generally grow financially, it's based on debt. Mm. It's based on borrowing. It's based on you know growth, based on taking money at a cheap rate and paying interest on it. Now, if I was to talk about interest, everyone knows, actually, we should know, that it's from the worst sins. But our entire society is predicated on debt and you have growth based on debt. And so what that means is that you keep on growing until, you know, the music stops <laughs> and then suddenly everything collapses. And this is why you have boom and bust. Yep. You have these recession cycles because it's an artificial way of growth. Mm. So this is general society. What Wahid came in to do and said so was actually, look, we need to empower the Muslim community by giving them access to investments rather than debt. Mm. So any money that they have that the super rich, they never sit on money. They make sure their money's always working for them. The super rich always have their money actively employed. They call it sweating their assets. <laughs> Whereas we, you know, those of us on a lower socioeconomic level, we just have money sitting in, in accounts. And that money is, first of all, being used uh, in a way that's counterintuitive to Islam because banks will use it to make more money. And it's doing nothing. It's just eroding. Yeah. Effectively by inflation And then our zakat as well That we have to give on it So the the kind of ethos And, and the thinking behind why there was well, How do we give access to the average person To invest in a halal way In a manner that actually reflects their values In a way that's completely accessible uh, Safe in the sense that it's regulated It's fully regulated And you only ha you're only subject to natural market risks And that's where Wahid came about It, it was the right time in terms of technology and also, I think the skill set and people's mentality, alhamdulillah, the Muslim community now is more digitally connected than ever before. We have the youngest demographic globally, which has now created um, uh, access to information, you know, alhamdulillah. And so when you put all of these together, and then we've also got the talent coming through, it was just, it was the right time. And so what Wahid does is give an investment platform to the average person to invest in Shalai in a manner that reflects their values and so your money doesn't have to sit in accounts it can be invested inshallah to grow mm. yeah definitely um like even myself growing <coughs> up there wasn't a lot of conversations about money and how to use money um it, it was it was not really a conversation in the household and and money was always something which was tight and so the only relationship i had was with money was uh we need to spend on what we need and that's that's as far as it went and there was there was no understanding of how money could grow or how you could invest money how you could build money uh, and uh, that was obviously because of our own family situation where we were very tight on money and we only had to use it for what we needed in terms of surviving and getting the basic things <clears throat> but now obviously as we're seeing the muslim community here in the uk and other parts uh, of the world are kind of growing in their uh, maybe their their, their economical um understanding and 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 their their their, their uh, education about it and their standing as well just in society um you, you we're finding that a lot of people are now asking questions about how they can grow their money and i guess it's that based on that kind of 
theory you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Where you're not really thinking about future opportunities until you sort out what you need to sort out. So now, alhamdulillah, maybe my parents' generation, they were able to sort out the basic needs for us and how we can go ahead and think about things further. And I saw on what attracted me after thinking about this myself, right, reflecting on my own situation and how I dealt with money growing up. Uh, and then I saw what had uh, one of your commitments is to help uh, increase the financial literacy of Muslims uh, around the world. And that really interested me because, as I said, I didn't really grow up with understanding how, how you can use money. So what is what, what are Muslims missing when it comes to financial literacy and what is Wahid doing to kind of fill in that gap? Okay. <clears throat> when it comes to financial literacy, I think there are some uh, challenges which are exclusively Muslim and there's some which are general in society. So when we look at general issues of financial literacy, it's understanding how taxes work the importance of compound investing. Mm. So compounding anything. There's a really good book on, uh, uh, it's called Atomic Habits. And it's yeah. about how doing a little bit every day makes a massive difference at the end of it. Savings work the same way. This is again, even from the, 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 the Sunnah, the Prophet said, the most beloved deed to Allah is the one that's small but done regularly. Mm. So investing, saving works the same way. You keep on putting it aside and at the end of it, inshallah, you'll have something big. So understanding that about saving, you know, I think perhaps our parents' generation were much better than us. We live in a time of, of hyper-spending, hyper-materialism. So general society, understanding how taxation works, the impact of taxes, whether if you do save money, with your income that you receive, if you invest, for example, in your property, etc., when you pass away, what happens with that? Understanding all of this from a taxation perspective, understanding the importance of compound saving, and then also understanding how banking actually works. What do they do with your money? How is your money yeah. used in society? You cover these three, you understand, you know, you teach children about these. And, and this is why we actually released this book and it was covered here actually yeah. on, on the story of Yusuf alayhi salam, the, the, the seven years of, of, of good, you know, crop and of, you know, alhamdulillah, amazing growth for the seven years of hardship later. Knowing in your early years that the, the, the kind of investments, the decisions you make can have an impact later, right? So all of this, navigating through this, uh, even understanding things like how credit cards work. Yeah. When you borrow money, what's the real cost of borrowing? Buy now, pay later, mm -hmm. right? So you know Klarna, yeah? I'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah. you go Klarna. <laughs> or um, PayPal, PayPal yeah. credit. Yeah. And it says, ah, oh, 0% credit, you split over four payments. Yeah. And then you go into the, the, the terms and conditions and yeah, you miss a payment and you're paying 30% <laughs> or 19.9%. From a conventional perspective, understanding all of this, you know, for every pound that you borrow, okay, how much you actually pay back. Yeah. So society needs to understand this, and then you've really got to look at it. So uh, the head of Barclay Card, right? The head of Barclay Card was just credit cards because he would never let his children have credit cards. <laughs> right? He never let his children have credit cards because he knows how it works. Mm. But we're being that, that reminds me of like uh, like Steve Jobs and, <coughs> and others who, who've created certain technologies and they, they wouldn't let their kids have it because they know how it works. It's, just, it's the same. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So this is from a general perspective, understanding actually, when you borrow money, what are you signing up to? What's the difference between the interest rate and APR? Right? Yeah. You know, sometimes you say, oh yeah, don't worry. And you know, you borrow this money and you're only gonna pay this much later. Yeah. So this is from a general societal perspective in terms of financial literacy. 
Then from an Islamic perspective, specifically for the Muslim community, understanding what's permissible and impermissible when it comes to your wealth. Right. And then how to navigate our financial lives in a modern economic system, the times that we live in. So uh, just one example, uh, what's the ruling on bank accounts? Do you know, sure. I don't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> don't, you're going to have to teach me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so alhamdulillah. So look, bank accounts, yeah. uh, the scholars have said, uh, they are allowed by necessity. Mm -hmm. Because of the way banks work, they create money out of nothing, something called fra fractional reserve banking. Yeah. So for every pound that you put in, they will lend up to 10 times that. You may turn around to the bank and say, I don't want any interest. Yeah. But they're still using your money to create money. Yep. And to lend at interest Okay, so first of all Understanding riba And riba in its different forms These discussions around Buy now, pay later Credit cards, etc Even if they say 0% We as Muslims How do we interact with them? Actually What are the dangers of riba? Unfortunately we're like, I think perhaps our parents' generation They understood that riba was wrong And maybe they interacted with it We're drowning in it Yeah. You look at the average levels of debt And this is riba-based debt Hmm. When Allah says him and his messenger وسلم, are at war with you, what does that mean? How how comfortable are people today in saying, yeah, we bought this house on mortgage and we've got an investment property over there and we've got a buy to let over there and I've bought my car on finance and I've got this on finance and that on finance and now the clothes that I wear are on finance through Klarna and we don't care. We don't think anything of it. So from an Islamic perspective, really understanding the prohibition of riba. Do you think maybe people... Um, feel like because we're so we're just drowning in this system of riba that we have no choice but to just do what we can in that system and ignore any of the kind of Islamic uh, implications and uh, and things like that because in in some people's head how can you possibly marry the two and if I'm drowning here then I'm just gonna have to make the most of it and when there comes a time when we can introduce some sort of justice from the Islamic financial system then I'll, I'll move over there Take. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you're, you You want to burst out yeah. You know what it is well, The Prophet Sallallahu said very clearly in the hadith If you see something wrong You change it with your hands If you cannot change it with your hands Speak out against it And if you cannot speak out against it At least feel it in your heart well, This person who accepts everything He's not even feeling it in their heart mm. How can you expect uh, Accept Ma'asi uh, Something which is A sin of this magnitude that Allah Allah and His Messenger are at war with you and you're just, yeah, okay, maybe you can't do anything about it. But do you accept it in your heart? Yeah. Well, how will you stand in front of Allah Like This is, you know, to take it to that level, yeah. that Allah said, you know, if I said to you, eat some pork, who's going to say, listen, there wasn't any halal meat available <laughs> and, you know, yeah, vegetarian didn't look too good and it cost more, so I'm going to eat, you know, some sausages. Oh, the people go, are you crazy? Or drink some alcohol because it's cheaper than, uh, you know, soft drinks or some juice or something or water. Yeah. Right? It, it, it just doesn't come in. But when it comes, and this is amongst the dangers of riba, you don't see the dangers and the impact of it. And we're like, we can't do anything against it. It's a big... No, subhanAllah. Our job isn't the, the result. Our job is just to do. Our job is to try and fight in every little way that we can. You may struggle with your salah. You may struggle with your salah. Does that mean that you keep on trying? You keep on trying. In every yeah. way that you can, you fight your nafs. Yeah. So if you want that item and you don't have the money, and rather than getting into some sort of interest-based credit, halas, you don't. You keep on fighting it. Yeah.
You know, and it's got to be, it's got to be that struggle. And more and more voices need to come up. And it's not just Muslim voices in this space. There are other voices that actually say, wait a second, this financial system is fundamentally corrupt. Hmm. We saw it in 2007, 2008, when we had the financial disaster. Yeah. And suddenly everyone was like, wait a second, what's going on here? Like the banks, they're like, you know, privatizing their profits and socializing their losses. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so when they're making money, it's for them. But when they lose, it, it's for everyone to pay. Yeah. Right. And it's broken. But we as Muslims, we can't think outside of the paradigm. This isn't the prophetic method. The Prophet was a single man that came out and he spoke out against oppression and injustice in all its forms. Right. And then it grew from there. One voice. Right. So for people to say, yeah, we're in a time where we're mm. completely surrounded by it. Sorry, it's, it's not, not enough. Because on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anh, said, choose your weapon. Mm. If you're dealing riba, choose your weapon to prepare to face Allah. What weapon is there? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So this is why it's really important that our community understands mm -hmm. the dangers of riba, how to recognize riba. Mm. And then maybe, inshallah, we will start to come up with alternatives that we're seeing now. There are other ways of doing things. Things don't have to be debt-based. They can be equity-based. The talent that we have and with technology as an enabler, we can do things differently, inshallah. And then these things bring barakah. Mm. These things genuinely bring barakah into our lives. We're living in a time where we're bereft of barakah. We have no time for anything. We have no time to see our family, our parents. We don't have time mm. to see our children. Subhanallah. You know, and then we're asking why. You have money that comes in every month, but somehow it seems to disappear. Yeah. It runs through your hands like water. Why? Because we have no barakah. And then let alone we see, when you start to think actually, Speaking to some scholars, subhanAllah, they're saying when you look at the type of disasters that we're facing globally, yeah, right, is it not Allah's punishment? Hmm. Right? And I know maybe it's a bit deep for this podcast <laughs> here, but I really think because un unless people are aware of the dangers, yeah. that it's worse, then they'll always be relaxed about it. Because for them, man, he's getting some nice new shoes. Maybe he's <laughs> getting some nice, a nice house or a nice car and X, Y, Z. It seems like we, we have to have a sort of a, a cultural revolution a, a whole change in our mindset because like you brought up earlier maybe that the older generation they were a bit better at this because they didn't have the temptations of having things like Klarna and the, the, the PayPal and the interest-free this that, and whatnot uh, whereas now because that's readily available and like you said through technology so easy to access these things as well as coupled with the kind of hyper materialism that we now have um, and always kind of new phones coming out new shoes coming out new fashion etc that muslims who are growing up in this age it, it's it's almost like they're, they're they're dragged into this culture of spending and using money that they don't have in order to live up to certain standards that society are, are setting out for them uh and so in order to kind of draw ourselves back it, it's going to require some sort of huge cultural change and cultural revolution what would you say are the steps for muslims nowadays to to kind of uh, wean themselves away from that type of mindset and that type of thinking in, in order to be a bit more ethical and a bit more uh, God conscious about their financial uh, situations and spending. Alhamdulillah, there's a, a very good question actually, Shrebro, and uh, I'll tell you why. Because the way we deal with finances uh, is, is an outcome and we really have to go back down to the base level and our relationship with wealth yeah. and our relationship with the world around us and even to the point of our purpose in life, right? Immediate things that we can do 
is to separate or differentiate between needs and wants. Mm. Today, we think they're the same. I need the new phone, <laughs> right? I need these clothes, right? No, you don't need, you want. Understanding the difference. And as parents looking at our children in terms of how we bring them up, actually, because if you're talking about the next generation and creating this shift is, yeah. are we fueling that type of behavior in them, right? They're crying, here's a tablet, right? Put the yeah. TV on, spend time, whatever they want, give it to them, you know, versus I guess before we just say, no, relax. Yeah. When I tell you, then you're going to get something. Whereas now we're like, yeah, yeah, kick on here. And because we're busy for ourselves, then okay, yeah, it gives us free time. So we just give them the tablet. But what are we doing in terms of a behavior? Yeah. And this is why actually you see, subhanAllah, all of this is a reflection of impatience, mm. one sort or another. So it's impatience with our time, impatience in terms of what we want. And that's why they say, that the scholars said, subhanAllah, that the, the mother of all good characteristics is sabr. That the overarching quality and the mother of all of the best behaviors in a person is sabr. That patience and yeah. resilience. Mm. You know, patience when you want something from desire and resilience when tough times come, how to deal with them. And we've got to have that. We've got to imbibe that in our children and our family around us. We, we've got to move away from instant gratification. We've got to move away from, we want something now, so we're going to get it now. Yeah. Test ourselves. Go through a little bit of difficulty just for yourself. And really understand our relationship with wealth. This is a big thing. What made the earlier generations different to us is that they held their wealth in their hands and not their hearts. Yeah. We've allowed it to become a part of us. Mm. That unless we have these things, we don't feel that we are who we are. We're not authentic. Right? Yeah. So we need to re-educate our children. We need to ensure that, imbibe a culture of patience, a culture of giving as well. Being a lot more giving. A, uh, in increase this culture of responsibility. You know, we're becoming more and more nuclear. Yeah. Like, how, how many times when we were growing up, we'd have random people just turn up at the house, you let them into the house, alhamdulillah, you sit there. You know, you're knocking the door, exactly. they just in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uncle, aren't you ready? Like, you know, alhamdulillah, assalamu alaikum. Those pack of biscuits that you weren't allowed to eat, they're allowed to come out now. <laughs> now no one comes see each other. Yeah. You don't know who your neighbours are. Mm. Right? You you meet your parents by appointment. Subhanallah. Right? This is the time that we're living. And what's this doing? It's just making us more and more nuclear. So we become more and more selfish. My time, my time is the most important thing. Mm. My money is the most important thing. And we don't realize what we're doing. We need to relook at all of this. We all need to take responsibility. There's a communal responsibility, but there's an individual responsibility to this. Yeah. That Imagine this, subhanAllah, that the Prophet said, he was sitting down and, he, and then he got up and he starts talking about the rights of your neighbors mm. and 40 neighbors to the right and 40 to the left. And the companion said, we thought the Prophet the way he was speaking about the rights of neighbors, that they'd be included in the inheritance. The rights your neighbors have. And today you don't even know their names. Right? And these are your neighbors. Mm. Let alone your kith and kin. Your kith and kin. Your first cousins. Right? Your siblings. How many of them may be going through difficulty? But we don't have time to go and speak to them or see how they are. Oh. We've got time to go to nice restaurants. 
We've got time to do all of these things. We've got time to meet up with our friends. We've got time to do those things which we want. But Allah has put has put responsibility in these things and also he's put a blessing in these things mm. as well. And we need to kind of revive that type yeah. of mentality. It, it it kind of makes me think that your relationship with wealth is very much linked to your relationship with Allah and your piety. And that your your your, your level of piety would have effect on the way that you view wealth and wealth generation. So is there a relationship and is there a conflict as well? Because sometimes people say that, you know, if if you're very pious, you shouldn't be very wealthy because that means you're so attached to the dunya, how could you possibly be that pious? And then, uh, you know, and, uh, on the other side, they're saying, you know, if you're so so, so wealthy, then uh, you're, you're the furthest person away from the ideals of the Prophet Sallallahu and the Sunnah and holding up to these kind of values that we're talking about. So what would you say is the relationship between piety and wealth? And is there an internal or an, uh, conflict between the two? See, sometimes people have this uh, question, and again, really good question, Shreya, because you say that somehow you can't be wealthy and a good Muslim. Mm. No, who said that? There's, there's nothing which says that you can't be wealthy and a good Muslim. But the caveats are this, that your path to becoming wealthy should never be one which has transgressed anyone's rights, people's or Allah's, that you haven't earned that money in a haram way, right? So first of all, your path to getting that money, mm. you fulfilled all your obligations along the way, okay? Number one. Number two, when you have that money, what do you do with it? Over the Ashram al-Bashara, the ten companions promised paradise, they say at least half of them were billionaires by today's standard. SubhanAllah. Guaranteed paradise. Bro, <laughs> guaranteed paradise. <laughs> billionaires. They say when Uthman radiallahu's caravan used to come into Medina, the ground used to shake because there were that <laughs> many caravans. How many slaves, subhanAllah, did Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu emancipate? Yeah. From his wealth How many of his family did he provide for How many times when they were going for Sibililah Then he would provide Yeah. Right Not just him So there's all these stories of, of their amazing generosity Right So number one Right Is if you have wealth Or you seek wealth It has to be done in a halal way mm. But you need to temper it into what's your purpose in life Right Don't make it your purpose it can be a byproduct. There are many people, subhanAllah, they didn't go out to seek wealth, but Allah blessed them with wealth. Okay? And you can see that. If you seek wealth like that, I can guarantee you that you are going to miss out on the others. You're going to either transgress someone's rights like along the way, or you're going to be negligent in your duties towards Allah because yeah. you've made your purpose wealth. Okay. So there's a set of people we can address who are wealthy, and there's a set of people we can address who aren't wealthy. And you look at this, subhanAllah, the believer is only ever in two states. Sabr or shukr. Right? They're yeah. only ever in two states. Every single one of us should either be in a state of sabr or shukr. Sabr for those who don't have something, who are going through some tests. Maybe Allah hasn't blessed them with wealth. So there's sabr. Those who have wealth, then they need to be in a state of shukr. فَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَعْزِيدَنَّكُمْ Whoever is grateful, Allah gives them more. And how do we show our gratefulness? How do we show that shukr? That's the thing for the people of wealth. And Allah again has clearly shown that. He says in the Quran, all of the verses which talk about the prohibition of riba in the Quran, in Surah Baqarah, the preceding verses are all about your relationship with wealth. 
and your relationship with sadaqah. And it talks about not letting charity, not letting sorry, the money enter your heart by being charitable with it, yeah. knowing that the hereafter is better. So, first of all, if you have wealth, be grateful to Allah about how you distribute it. Not just zakat, not just zakat. Alhamdulillah, even if you give zakat properly, that's enough. Yeah. But actually, being more than that, Allah mm. allows you to help people. Even if you don't help anyone through direct charity, yeah? So you just give your zakat. If you have the intention of making money so you can employ people, yeah. that alone is even more rewarding, I would argue, than giving people money. Because the Prophet said, stop awesome. the person who's going out and begging. And he goes, it's more honorable. And it's better for you to earn money with what your hand has earned. Yeah. And so if you're facilitating that, you're facilitating someone who can go and earn money and feed his family honorably, then that's charitable. That's charitable. So Muslims should have this vision of being, mashallah, wealthy, not for the sake of wealth, hmm. but what it enables them to do. Okay. And there's no contradiction. As long as I said, you don't let it in interfere in any way between your relationship with you and Allah, you've not transgressed anyone's rights along the way. Yeah. And then the extra layer is being generous. MashaAllah, look, you know, we were um, up north over the last weekend. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, we had, we had the opportunity to speak to some very for wealthy the, for families. For those of our listeners, uh, when we say up north, we're down in London, that means anything outside the M25 is up <laughs> yeah, north for us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this was significantly north. <laughs> okay. So we're there near Brantford and Manchester. <laughs> but Alhamdulillah, I spoke to some uh, very, very wealthy families. One of these families, Alhamdulillah, uh, their business, their fathers employed a lot of the local imams. And it's given them jobs, administration jobs. So they come and you go into the office and you see all of these local imams, mashallah, <laughs> to give them some sort of dignity and That's give amazing. them honor. Right? You can do that if you've got a business. But if you're constantly, no, no, why should we pay them? Uh, I'm going to give them a little bit of charity. Yeah. I feel better. And I'm keeping that type of relationship with them. Mm. That's wrong, man. Yeah. Whereas if you have this type of vision to do khair, then wallahi, you'll only see that increases you in wealth. Anyone you see, honestly, Shweb, people you see people who are generous like that, they're not generous except Allah is more generous. Mm. They're not generous know. except Allah is more generous. And anything they give, Allah has blessed them more so. Whereas the person who counts his penny and he miserly, Allah, their whole life is restricted. Mm. You know? A wahid has this mission to, inshallah, help the Muslim community increase that wealth so that we can do things like you've mentioned. But then the question comes in mind of how does a Muslim then balance between his investments in this life, the wealth that he's creating and generating for his life in the dunya, to maybe for himself, to help his family, other people, like what we said, versus the investments that he can make for the akhirah when it comes to zakah, when it comes to sadaqah, when it comes to however else one can use their wealth for the afterlife. How can one balance this once he, he, he inshallah, achieves that sort of financial goal that he's looking for? Okay, alhamdulillah. So look. Islam as a way of life and the Sharia as a guidance is comprehensive. It's so beautiful how it kind of teaches you all of these different things or gives you prioritizations. One of the principles of Islam is that, um, you know, preventing harm takes precedence over a perceived benefit. Mm. This is number one. Another principle is taking care of your obligations before any supererogatory act. Yep. Right. These two principles here. When it comes to your money, and you're talking about uh, a, a dunya approach versus a hereafter approach, and let's just say, and I just take the two extremes that yep. you invest money 
and you give it all to charity. Yeah. Actually, your family are an obligation for you, mm -hmm. right? This is why when you pass away, that they have more right than even charity, because that would have been the example. The Prophet said, said, give it all to charity, but the person came and he gave a third, right? And the Prophet said, even that is significant. Yeah. But that's the maximum. Right. Otherwise, the Prophet ﷺ would have said, give it all to charity is better for you. Yeah. But no, the inheritance was limited to a third because your family have a right to the inheritors, have a right to that, greater right to that. So if you're doing something for the protection and building of your family to make sure that they don't tomorrow ask and they're set up, alhamdulillah. Bear in mind now what we're talking about, charity and so on and so forth, but giving someone the ability to stand on their own two feet. Yeah. And they're your family. So they have, and, and they're your, your dependents. So there's a balance there. Yeah. You invest money, alhamdulillah, right? Invest money that allows them. But this doesn't mean it has to be exclusive. We need to give charity just above and beyond zakah yep. for our own sakes. Mm. We need to do it to soften our hearts. Mm. So our hearts are very hard. And we need to be able, if we actually want to supercharge our investments, giving charity is one of the ways that brings barakah. So there's a balance. You make sure you take care of your responsibilities. Yeah. But you give and everyone's got if anyone tells me if they're able to go out and eat out once a week that they haven't got flexibility to give charity then there's something wrong there how is wahid helping in this look wahid is a managed service effectively yeah they take the heavy duty and the responsibility of investing your funds for you okay we'll go and make sure that the stocks are halal mm -hmm. we'll go into them we look at them we'll make sure that the based on your risk profile that your portfolio is balanced accordingly, that you haven't put all of your money in a high-risk type of investment. It's spread out between stocks and shares or gold or something which is like a, a fixed income, which is a sukuk. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to constantly watch it. It's okay, alhamdulillah. These are the experts. Our, our chief investment officer, alhamdulillah, he managed 30 billion for Google. MashaAllah. 30 billion for Google. Right? So he knows what he's doing. <laughs> exactly. I give him my money to invest. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, my background's in risk. I look yeah. at the risk of everything. Yeah, yeah. Like he knows where the growth is, alhamdulillah. And, and obviously there is natural risk in, in, in any type of investment. It can go up or down. But he's, he's an expert in something. Even Allah just says, you know, if you don't know, then go to those who know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if someone's an expert in something, so this is what, how Wahid is helping. They have an expert. We've invested in a full investment committee to make sure that it's not only invested in the right way from a Sharia perspective, from a market uh, making perspective as well, inshallah. Right. So that's how why it's helping. Okay. You don't have to worry about it. You don't, just put it aside. Put it aside. You can put money aside every month and let it grow, inshallah. And we're fully regulated. This is the other big, big thing. And I, I'll say this to anyone who's listening to this podcast. Even if you don't invest in Wahid, yeah? The, real, the, the advice I would give is non-negotiables are that it has to be halal. Yep. Non-negotiable. Number two, really try and ensure that the money that you're investing is with a party that you trust in a manner that you trust. And if they're regulated, it really helps mm. because, you know, they've gone through the pain of being regulated and there's some checks and balances. And there's also a recourse if anything goes wrong, potentially. Yeah. Yep. So these, these things really make sure that you do. Don't negotiate on Sharia. And secondly, look, man, know who you're going into into business with yeah very important definitely very important i know you've uh written some articles on islam channel website that goes into things like recognizing what might be a scam and things like this so people should definitely read the article to get a bit more, a bit more information about that um given the current situation 
that is going on in the world. <clears throat> a lot of people are worried about the increase of pricing, the increase in inflation, where the economy is heading. <clears throat> so essentially, people are worried that if there's going to be an emergency situation where my I'm going to have to use up my finances or my wealth might not be worth as much because of how the economy has changed. What could the Muslim community specifically do in some of those emergency situations to make sure they're prepared for it and they can uh, maybe protect their wealth or use it in a way that can sustain them throughout some sort of emergency period? Okay, so in this situation where we have inflation the way it is, um, the different things that we can do in terms of protecting our wealth, first of all, I think you really need to wind down our spending. Really, I spoke earlier about the difference between needs and wants. Look at everything that you don't need to spend that's, you know, superfluous, that's uh, in addition to what you really need, and cut them out. This is the time, right? Yeah. Small measures you can do at home, man. Just turning down your heating one notch. Yeah. You know, don't leave taps running. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this is it from an Islamic perspective as well. The Prophet said, even if you're in front of a flowing stream, you still only use the type, the amount of water that you need for wudu. We're brushing our teeth, we leave the taps on, <laughs> the showers and so on and so forth. So start addressing all of that. Okay. Budget. Mm -hmm. Create a budget. Know exactly what you're spending and how you're spending it. And think, actually, do we need all of this? Let's cut out some of these things that we can cut out. This is from the preservation preservation perspective in terms of spending. Okay. Shop around as well. Look for deals, right? Definitely. On the other side, you've got to have an investment strategy for your excess money mm -hmm. that tries to beat inflation and zakat. Right. Yeah? That tries to beat inflation and zakat. So this is then looking for investments that actually will give you a return in a way that actually tries to maintain your capital and keep it safe. Okay. Leaving your money in the bank is just going to be eroded. Yep. If you look at the levels of inflation now, effectively in 10 years' time, any money that you've got is going to be worth half. Right? Your money is devaluing. So you've got to find a way to invest your money, inshallah, that grows, that mm -hmm. is at least going to be beating that. Yep. So your money is worth the same, if not more, in 10 years' time. You know? So I would say, look, protect your wealth in terms of expenditure, what you're looking how you spend money, budget, right? Know the difference between needs and wants. Again, this is a really big thing. It's going to be a recurring theme. Yeah. But also look to invest your money in something, inshallah, that's again halal, that's trusted, and that will build it without too much risk. Everyone's got their own risk profile. Yep. Make sure it's, it's a risk profile that you're comfortable with. And it's got to be excess funds, not emergency funds. You keep your emergency kitty, Right. Yep. For me, I, it's about three months worth of expenditure. The rest of it, I've I've, I've deployed all in investments or lent out as a kardhasan. Okay. Right. Yep. So some people may be able to use that or not. You know, it's up to them. Yep. And everyone's situation is different. You know, it all depends on how much access they have to help and so on and so forth. Yeah. But definitely do these budget control mm -hmm. and invest. Okay, that's perfect. You've categorized it. I think that that's really going to help. Now, in just a couple of weeks, we've got <coughs> Ramadan coming up. Yeah. Ramadan is a time where people love to spend, especially on sadaqah. I know there's people that spend a lot on food as well during that month, but uh, to turn our attention onto like sadaqah, zakat, a lot of people wait for Ramadan period to pay off their zakat. A lot of people save up towards Ramadan so they have a, a bank of money in which they can pay their sadaqah. So any kind of 
quick top tips at the top of your mind that can help people make sure that they do have money ready for Ramadan so that they can spend on, on, on spend that sadaqah and they can spend on charity without it being a big financial strain on, on, on themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about preparing for Ramadan, the companions used to spend half of the year preparing for Ramadan, the other half praying to Allah to accept it. Yeah. So when it comes to preparing for Ramadan, there is one from a spiritual perspective, preparing, making yourself to mode, doing some additional nafil fast, for example, yeah. pushing yourself for qiyam by yourself. A couple of days, you know, as you're coming up. Yeah. And then intensifying it as you get into Ramadan to get the most out of it. Yeah. Have the same approach with your wealth. Maybe miss a coffee here and there. <laughs> Start putting money aside. Maybe there was something that you really wanted. Yeah. And as a gift to yourself in the hereafter, you don't buy it and you earmark that money for charity. MashaAllah, I never heard that before. Right? So gift this for is yourself in the hereafter. Give for yourself in the hereafter, inshallah. So you know, start doing these things. Put money aside. Really like start doing it. Because look, Ramadan is this period now. We've got twenty nine or thirty days in which to earn Jannah. Mm. What price are you willing to pay for Jannah? Right? And charity is one of the gates of Jannah. Yeah. Right? So have money, get ready. It's the month of sacrifice. Every day, give charity. Every single day, have, have uh, this intention that every single day I'm going to find a way of giving charity as much as I can with my hand. So I feel it going from my hand. Yeah. But if not, then different ways. Find different causes. Take the same diversified portfolio approach with your charity. Make the sacrifices in the early days so you can reap the benefits of it later. And really every day in Ramadan. And you know, alhamdulillah, there's these things like automated and whatever. Great, do those as well. Yeah. Do those as well. But, and make your family come together and do it. As, as a family, put money in a collective pot. Sit down with your family, sit with your children and say, who should we give the money to today? Make it a decision. Make your children be a part of it as well, inshallah. Yeah, yeah. They can see that the benefit and the blessings of giving. And you should think every single day I'm going to give something. Number one. Number two, I would say this. Whatever amount that you've earmarked for zakat, yeah. that you have to pay, find a way to at least match it or in, give more than it in sadaqah. Mm. Whatever amount you're going to give in zakat, Find a way to match it or give more in sadaqah. Zakah is the obligation upon your wealth. Yeah. It's not charity. You have no right to that money. It's Allah's right on that money. We have this thing that we're giving charity when we give zakat. No. Mm. It's Allah's right on that money. It's a very interesting way of looking at so it. So that money's gone. Yeah. What are you giving as sadaqah? Mm. Allah, out of His infinite mercy, despite this, still rewards us for it. SubhanAllah. Despite the fact that it's his money, yeah. In fact, all of it is, but that specific amount is his. Subhanallah, he still rewards us for it. But that is not our charity. What you, what are you gonna give? Yeah. So think. Okay, if I've given this much, and on the grand scheme of things, two and a half percent is zakat. Give another two and a half percent, five percent of your wealth. Mm. That he's the one who's given it to you. He's the one who enabled you to have it. He's the one who gave you the ability, the intellect, the energy, the opportunity to earn it. Yeah. And we can't get 5%, 2.5% of which is his anyway. 
Subhanallah. Yeah, so have that in your mind. Whatever I give, whatever my zakat is, I'm going to double it. And that's my sadaqah. And I hope, inshallah, that that's going to be even more rewarding. Inshallah, inshallah. Coming up to a final question then. Um, straight after Ramadan is Eid. Now, Eid is a big celebration. And, uh, you know, we want to buy gifts. We want to buy new clothes. We want to make sure we're spending on that day so that family and friends and everyone has a good time. But that means for some of us that can become quite financially straining as well. And we see that from uh, other communities in their holidays as well. You find people trying to meet a certain standard that society has set for that particular holiday. And they're going out and buy, using credit cards and using loans and all sorts of things in order to buy the gifts for their children and meet the, the standards of how the table should be dressed and everything. Um, and maybe this is more so because of some sort of image that they feel like they have to portray. Now, we, we obviously don't want Eid to become something where people feel that kind of pressure, that they have to spend that type of money in order to have a good day and have a good celebration. So uh, similar to the last question, what would you say families can do? How can they go about making sure that their Eid celebrations are good, are fun, are amazing, but yet not so draining on their own financial resources and making sure that we're not falling into the traps of having to go out and get loans and things like that to, to make Eid so fantastic? <laughs> so look, those who fail to prepare... Prepare to fail. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, it's one of those things like, look, actually, the more time you spend in preparation for something, alhamdulillah, helps in terms of the outcome of that so start thinking about this now actually eat this coming up what we're going to do how have you spent your ramadan so typically if you've had lavish iftars then wait a second the feast on eid day doesn't seem that big does it <laughs> yeah right so think about how we're going to moderate and temper things throughout ramadan as well number one this principle that i mentioned earlier about the prevention of harm and yep. then a perceived benefit celebrating eid in a good way is definitely a blessing there's a benefit in it, bringing the family together. But getting yourself into debt in a haram way to do so, especially, then there's no benefit. Right? Yeah. And these are challenges that we need to have, right? That we need to ask of ourselves, what are we doing? Number one. Number two, you can make things fun without spending lots of money, right? Um, and number three, get more people involved. Mm -hmm. Invite people around. Yeah. Everyone brings a dish. Mm-hmm. Everyone brings a dish. Why is it all on one person? Who cares what people think? We, as the people from the outside, need to be, have that behavior as well, by the way. Yeah. One thing is saying to a person, it doesn't matter what people think. But secondly, we as people, we need to interact with society in a way that makes sure that they don't think what do people think. Yeah. So we don't go make comments about how their house is or we don't say things that encourages that type of negativity. Yeah. We should be positive in how we are. Alhamdulillah, we go in and there's barakah in these things. Again, I'm going to come back to this point. There's barakah. Get more people involved. Eid is about celebrating. Celebrating, seeing each other, spending time with each other. Food is a part of it. You know, but the, the lavishness, that's not really, it's, it doesn't, that doesn't make Eid Eid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's the people. It's the seeing your loved ones, spending that time together, being happy. You know? So invite people around, have, bring a dish. Tighten your belt a little bit during Ramadan, you know, and then save for that day, inshallah, then you can celebrate things. But whatever you do, don't get into debt for any type of party like this. Yeah. Right? Don't get into debt for it because the benefit that you're going to get is going to be outweighed by harm. There are people, subhanAllah, who borrowed money to get married and 10, 15 years later, 
they're still paying that off. I don't know how much interest they would have paid on it for a party. <laughs> their debts lasted longer than their marriages. Astaghfirullah. Can you imagine that? It's crazy to think about. Their debts lasted longer than their marriages. How how can you have a good outcome for something that wasn't started in the right way? Yeah. You know, the way you start something, the way you begin something impacts the way you end it. So it's important to have all of these things in mind. Come back, right, and just think about it and actually teach our children as well. You know, alhamdulillah, it isn't just about having parties and lots of presents. Yeah. It's actually a day of praising Allah, being grateful, being happy. Go out with them, do a picnic. You know, the yeah. weather is going to be good, inshallah. inshallah. Be creative, isn't it? You know, I mean, we're creative when we want to be. <laughs> but when it comes to these things, then, you know, subhanAllah, we're not. So where can people find about more about Wahid? Uh, is there a website? Is there someone to download the app? Or? Yeah, definitely. So you can go to the website. It's www.wahidinvest.com. Mm -hmm. Go there, inshallah. Uh, it's got all the details there. And you can also download the app on Google and Apple. Right? I, uh, Apple stores and Google Play. Go down, download the app. Start your journey. Actually, I would say, look, everyone, just even a little bit, just begin and just let it grow, inshallah. A little bit every month. Yeah, you know, and and let it grow, inshallah, for yourself. You can see, right? And then look, as you're doing that, it doesn't stop you from doing anything else either. You know, I, I'm definitely here. Obviously, I represent wide, but I'd love, and I know as a community, we'd love to see people who are financially empowered, the independent. They become the next net employers. Yeah. You know, we talk about the big companies, the top 100 companies in the world. How many of them are Muslim owned? There's only one. Right, maybe wow. two. There's only one, and that's Aramco. That's based on oil. <laughs> right, yet we are a quarter of the world's population. We're unable to come up with something good. Right, so think about these things. Start your own journey, but keep on pushing yourself. Keep yeah. on pushing yourself. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair, Omar. It was a really informative session. I hope <laughs> people took away a lot of benefit from this. There was so much that we covered and we tried to unpack and I'm sure we could have gone on for way longer yeah. going into the deep dive of everything or every single point that we made, subhanAllah. But our time is over. Jazakallah khair. Um, so uh, please make sure if you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did, then go ahead and share this uh, to, to friends, to family, uh, and let them know. Uh, go ahead and find out more about Wahid, um, download the app, go on the website, go on the social media. And uh, as always, when it comes to financial decisions, make sure you speak to a professional. Um, and, uh, you know, there may be certain risks involved that you're not so aware of. So make sure you do speak to somebody. Everything they've heard in this episode is just for your information you should definitely go and speak to somebody about your own personal circumstance so they can give you the best advice and once again uh thank you very much for watching and we'll catch you in the next episode assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh